0: Hello and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector. All those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Tara Barrett, and today's guests are Alison Bennett and Carla Watson. Alison Bennett is from Mount Pearl and graduated with a Master of Arts in History from Memorial University in October 2014. She is currently completing her Bachelor of Education, Intermediate Secondary, at Memorial, and will graduate this fall. Allison is currently employed as the Centennial Celebrations Coordinator at Admiralty House Communications Museum and is organizing and preparing events for HM Wireless Station's 100th anniversary this September. Originally hailing from Saskatchewan, Carla Watson completed her Master's in Public History at the University of Western Ontario in London, Ontario. She's currently the Museum Manager for Admiralty House Communications Museum in Mount Pearl. Hello and welcome to the show, guys. Hi, thank hey. you. Uh, It's good to have you guys here. Um, So just to start off, I figured I'd just ask for anybody who doesn't know, uh, what is Admiralty House?
1: Well, Admiralty House uh, Communications Museum is a museum in Mount Pearl. We focus on the history of HM Wireless Station, which was a historic naval base during the First World War. And we focus on its history and its connection to uh, early communication, the Royal Naval Reserves and Mount Pearl. And so
0: what is, uh, like one item, what is one collection in your museum or one collection in your archive that you guys
1: have? Um, I think the one that people enjoy the most would be the S.S. Florizel collection. We received the transmission from the S.S. Florizel in 1918 at the station, and so we decided to focus on the tragedy that was the sinking of it. And uh,
0: what is one of, for each of you guys, so what is one of your favorite, uh, I guess, stories and or artifacts that you have in the museum or the archive?
2: Um, well, one of my favorite stories is, I guess, more of a a rumor, um, not entirely confirmed, um, but it comes from uh, when it was HM wireless station during World War One, and um, it was believed that there was an act of sabotage. Um, there was a man; he was about fifteen. He was working at the station, um, and it was during winter time. Uh, he looked out the the door or what have you, and um, he saw two suspicious heaps of snow, and um, he, you know, said, "Put your hands up." And two Germans uh, appeared. So that's probably one of my favorite stories. It's not entirely confirmed, but um, I, I like I like the idea of it.
1: Yeah. Uh, my favorite thing at the museum is actually an artifact. It's a Princess Mary gift box. In 1914, Princess Mary of England would give uh, these gift boxes. They were little tin boxes, and they had a picture of her face and the names of the Allied troops. She'd send those out to the Allies uh, to celebrate their first Christmas. They thought the war was going to be done, you know, right then. So why not give presents? And so she had made these gifts up. If you were a non smoker, you received candy or a pen. But if you were a smoker, you received um, some tobacco. And our artifact is actually on loan from the rooms, and uh, inside it is actually 1914 tobacco. So if people are coming through and they want to see that tobacco, all they need to do is ask their friendly tour guide to let them see the Princess Mary gift box, and we'll open it up and you can get a sniff of that tobacco.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so when you say, like, the prin- they were princess mary
0: sent it was that to the troops who were on the, the allied yeah okay the front lines
1: yeah so any uh, allied troop person so mainly british canadian australians i don't know if the japanese ever received it or the russians but all of them are commemorated on these little boxes that's lovely mm-hmm. and so the story that you just told me about the two
0: Germans, that was in, that took place in Mount Pearl. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, just to kind of, uh, go along with that story, it's believed that, um, a a Newfoundlander, um, traveled to Germany before the war. And, um, I guess when war broke out, told the Germans of the, uh, landscape. Um, and that's where they, where we think that they were able to tell where to find us. Um, so it's, it's quite interesting. Uh, we think that these two Germans were dropped off by a U-boat and, uh, in Bay Bulls and found their way up to, to HM Wireless.
0: And so the wireless station during the war, what, what did the wireless station do during the war?
2: Um, it transmitted, uh, received um, wireless messages um, for the British Empire. Um, there was 11 identical other stations um, uh, created Uh, throughout the british empire um around the same time that uh we uh we were established in 1915 um so yeah yeah mainly mainly for uh
1: intercepting german communication Mm -hmm. we received sos's and we Mm -hmm. were tracking icebergs so we were kind of this multi-purpose station Mm -hmm. that was supposed to be the link between england and the southern pacific which Mm -hmm. or sorry atlantic definitely the atlantic (laughs) and uh You have to forgive me. I'm from the prairies. (laughs) And uh, so because the distance between England and, say, you know, South America, where the German activity was very large, we Mm -hmm. were that kind of connector point.
2: Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of communication problems um, during that first early period of the war. So really, our purpose and the purpose of the other stations was to help kind of solve these early communication problems.
0: This is fascinating because I I mean, I I think I've been to the museum maybe once, but like I didn't know any of this background history. So this is fascinating for me. Um, So just uh, in terms of the museum, I'm just wondering what kind of
1: programs you guys usually run or what kind of uh, like, I guess, activities you guys offer well um during our summer months we're trying to expand ourselves we do drop-in programs every wednesdays one thirty to 3 and uh, so those are usually focused around things that are related to the museum we do like morse code bracelets you learn how to tie like navy knots and um, we'll have a scavenger hunt related to everything um, in the museum But in the fall, in the winter, we typically do book tours for, say, cubs or girl guides. And so they come in and they get to learn about a specific history. If their leader says, oh, we want to focus on communication or we want to uh, learn about heritage, then we focus that a little bit more and we develop a program. So um, I had a group of scouts come in and they learned how to properly handle an artifact, how to look for the weak points, how to make sure that um, it's being properly cared for. And then all of them got a chance to take a picture, properly photograph their artifact, and I sent that off to them. So um, we have something for all ages, and we, we just really like the idea of being mm-hmm. able to offer ourselves to the youth in particular. And so do you guys do school programs? With We're trying to expand ourselves to schools. Um, it's been a few years since schools took advantage of us, and that's something that we really want. Is for uh, especially local teachers in Mount Pearl to see us as like a destination that they have to bring their students to because it's just so cool and it's so unique. You know, you get amazing experiences at, say, the rooms, but this is this is right in your backyard. Take advantage of it, right? Mm-hmm. And on the email that you sent to me, yeah, you mentioned that
0: that you guys were involved with City Days. So, what is what is City Days and how, how are you involved with that?
1: Um, well, City Days is. A Mount Pearl event it's happened for years and what it is is it's a series of days where we celebrate our community in Mount Pearl and so this year we're part of Family Fun Day and what that involves is we go and we have um, a picture board cutouts so you can stick your face through and you can look like um, someone who's going skiing in Mount Pearl in the 50s or 60s uh, you can color in uh, stickers that are related uh, we're part of the scavenger hunt, so kids have to spell out Mount Pearl and Morse code before they get their stamp on their scavenger hunt. And uh, we've partnered up with the Mount Pearl Paradise Chamber of Comber- Commerce and uh, the Arts Association of Mount Pearl to make this kind of a big pop for our centennial and the 60th for Mount Pearl. And so since you just mentioned
0: your centennial, what is the centennial that you're celebrating?
2: Uh, well, the centennial is uh, for the 100th anniversary of HM Wireless Station. Um, we, the actual date of that is September 16th, and that was the uh, day that the uh, building opened 100 years ago. So we're looking to celebrate that um, with a sunset ceremony, which is a more intimate um ceremony that we'll have on that exact date and then we're looking to have um, a garden party um you know with some dignitaries and some entertainment and some fun for all ages um on the 19th of september
0: fantastic um a couple of other things that you mentioned were uh the haunting of Admiralty house now is that like (laughs) ghosts in
2: Yes. Absolutely. Um, so last night, or sorry, I should retract a little bit. Last month, um, we had John Mallard from uh, the Life After Death Society, LADS, uh, come in, and he did a paranormal investigation for us. And uh, myself and Carla and one of our other uh, workers at the museum uh, were very lucky um, and were able to take part in this investigation. It was definitely probably one of the most unique experiences uh, I've ever you know uh, gone through um i'm sure you could probably say the same yeah Yeah. (laughs) a little bit (laughs) Uh, spooky yeah um but uh, last night he actually presented uh his findings to um the museum workers and the board and uh, some members of the city as well um so we we are proud to say that we have uh, uh some hauntings on our hands And so can you describe what the,
0: what his paranormal, I guess, search was or his, what was, what? What did he do when he came?
1: Uh, so the way John works is he's an electronic voice phenomenon individual, so that's what he uses. He uses um, a hacked radio called the spirit box that goes through frequencies at an accelerated rate. It's believed that ghosts or spirits or the paranormal operate on those frequencies. And so we pick those up. And so what you can do is you can actually have a conversation with spirits. Um, he also does more traditional... Uh, EVPs, and he sets a microphone, and we just talk at it, and if anything comes through, we'll hear it later when he reviews it. Um, They did some visual as well, taking pictures, having a GoPro camera, and he doesn't really believe in that, but, you know, for scientific purposes, he still did it, and uh, so what happened was he came in, and we did a sweep of the building to make sure that there was no... I, I guess electronic interference, no wires underneath the building, which we thought there would be we yeah. were you know, <laughs> even though we were a wireless station, there were still grounding wires, but there was nothing. we were a dead zone, uh, which is good. no electrical work needs to be done on the building um but so he did a sweep and then we went into our commanding officer's sitting room, and that room is actually um an original room that's where the commanding officer would have hung out, done any kind of reporting or entertaining. And uh, it's set to look like it's 1916. We have um, a number of pieces from the rooms that they generously have on loan to us. And so it's set up like that. We went into the space. We started conducting spirit box sessions. And we were able to get a lot of stuff from there. We then moved over to the annex, which is another building on our grounds. And that was the site of our old transmitter building. Back in those days, uh, it took a lot of power to kind of oomph out your messages, especially when you're going a long distance. And so one of those rooms uh, was called the Spark Room, and there was actually only one casualty um, at the station during the war, and this was a guy by the name of Mr. Candy. That's all we know about him, based on a picture. And uh, he was actually electrocuted in that Spark Room. The transmitter building burnt down in the early 90s, and they rebuilt the annex. So we went over to the annex to see if maybe we could have a chat with Mr. Candy, and we definitely got a few things that came through. So we have at least two or three spirits that are somewhere on Admiralty House premises. It's pretty cool. And so have you guys, aside from, I guess, the paranormal
0: activity with John, have you guys actually felt or seen or heard anything?
2: Um, I haven't seen anything specific, but ever since I started working at the museum, um, you definitely feel like you're not alone when you're there. You always kind of want to look over your shoulder. Um, But I know Carla and some of the other uh, workers and volunteers at the museum have experienced particular happenings. I'll say mm-hmm. um, there was uh, one account of a smell, um, something I guess like like wor- burning. W- wood burning, um, which is quite interesting. Um, there's another account of hearing Morse code, um, and you just recently had <laughs> <laughs>
1: scare of my life. Uh, <laughs> I heard banging. Sometimes when I'm alone and it's really weird, it's usually right at like five thirty. Everyone's taken off for the day. I'm finishing something up, and I'll hear a bang. I'll hear a movement. It scares the bejesus <laughs> out of me. I tell you. Um, so yeah, there's there's something, and I think the the fact that we're starting to acknowledge it a little bit more is starting to come out because there was talk of footsteps this past weekend. So. And do you guys plan to like incorporate that in your programming at all? (laughs) This Halloween is going to be something else. I can tell you that right now. We definitely (laughs) want to try to get um, some haunted tours going on. We want to bring back the haunted house that people talk about so fondly in Mount Pearl. Everyone asks, are you doing that this year? Are you doing that this year? We have to do it this year. It's just a gimme now. And uh, in the future, we'll see what we can't do to really make this pop.
2: And John Mallard has expressed great interest in coming back, so we're really looking forward to having him back and seeing if we can um, experience anything else through the, the Spirit Box.
0: This is fantastic. Yeah, it's super cool. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's
2: great fun. Um,
0: so just, uh, I know you both attended the Youth Heritage Forum, um, mm-hmm. so I just wondering how each of you got your start in the heritage sector or- um,
1: by chance. Um, it was one of those things where, so you're going to be a teacher, right? And my response was, no, I don't want to teach. That's not where I'm going. And um, at the University of Saskatchewan, there's a museum, the Museum of Antiquities. I'm not a, a antiquities person, but I thought, let's give museums a chance. Let's see what doors can open. And I went in, and just the structure of a museum, the lifestyle of a museum, creating exhibits, researching, it just spoke to me, if we're going to get cheesy or cliche, and I just, I wanted it, and I wanted it more. I started taking classes through the university on it, and by the end of my fourth year, I started applying to museum study programs and public history programs, and, um... I've never looked back since. It was just amazing. And what is a public history program? Um, Well, a public history program, the best way I can describe it is to compare it to, say, a museum studies program or an archives program. With one of those, you get depth. You're very focused on museums. You're very focused on archives. And you know every little detail about it. With a public history, you get breadth. And then you go to, say, like, the Museum Association of Newfoundland, and you start taking more courses through them to get that depth in certain fields. So what public history the way i've described it always is um it's getting history to the public but also getting the public involved in history so it's not me talking to you it's you coming in and helping me create that narrative and so how did you end up in newfoundland if you studied or you're from the, I know i'm just kind of, of so. hopping east uh <laughs> at little increments um well it, it was very serendipitous my professor at western i told him i love the first world war i want to go to ottawa he said don't go to ottawa go to newfoundland i'm from newfoundland the rooms is doing a first world war project you go be an intern there and i said okay i had come here in 2009 and i had fallen in love with the province i just wanted to be here and so i came and it was by chance once again i met allison mm-hmm. the previous summer she had been working at Admiralty house and uh, she said there's been an opening put your name in You never know what's going to happen. I moved back to Saskatchewan. I did a Skype interview with three members of the board. And about 20 minutes later, they gave me a phone call saying, do you want the job? I said, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) And so then I packed up everything and I moved back to Newfoundland. It was very haphazard. Um, Lots of couch surfing, but totally worth it. It sounds like it. And how about about you? How did you get uh, your start in the heritage sector?
2: Um, Well, I've always been interested in history. So um, doing a Bachelor of Arts here and progressing on to the Master's just seemed very natural. Um, I've always been interested in museums and artifacts and archives. Um, It's something that, you know, to to have that history in your hand, it just... it's totally exciting. It makes me giddy. Um, so, you know, during the summers when I'm looking for work, I was always trying to get a job in um, a museum, an archive, somewhere where I felt like my uh, history, um, my um, abilities researching, etc., could be put to good use um, and further developed. Um, so I was trying to get on board with Admiralty House there a few years ago. I was lucky last summer to get on, and I'm back again. Um, I'm also on the board uh, as well. So um, I, I just like to, to really get involved with, with local history.
0: Um, and just out of curiosity, you mentioned you did history at Monso. Mm-hmm. do you have a favorite, like, historical period or, or historical time that you're interested um,
2: in? I focus my studies on the Holocaust, um, but the more I get involved with local history, the more I almost regret not doing more of it um, as a formal education at Mon. Um, but I mean, there's so much I can learn on my own anyway. So um, I'm I'm getting there, and I I really wish uh, more of us here knew more about our own history.
0: And getting more people to know their local history, how do you think we could do that? I know that's a big question, but...
2: Yeah, um, I I think really one big thing is through education, um, and I know especially now with uh, people looking at the Truth and Reconciliation Act and how to incorporate these um, vital missing parts of our Canadian history into um, formal education is a big thing. Um, but I think even at a community level, um, communities really need to, um, amp up their, uh, support, their involvement with local museums, um, or local organizations that are, uh, history related.
0: Mm -hmm. Perfect. And, uh, just, I know that, uh, you guys, um, also have a radio show or radio in, is that with the museum?
1: Yeah, it is. Um, it's called CICQ. You can tune in ninety two point three FM. It's been up and running for full power only about a week. We had some vandalism, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But what I love about um, CICQ in relation to this kind of getting people engaged in history and heritage is that a lot of the stuff that we focus on is like local histories, local stories. That's something else that we want to kind of tap into. Come like Halloween, mm-hmm. is what are these like local? spooky stories what kind of flavors do we have in this world that we can broadcast and people can tune into and we can all kind of unite ourselves around because we have to kind of remember that heritage is kind of a uniting force and if we're not actually accessing what people are you know drawn to or tethered to then we're not actually doing our job as a heritage institution and so
0: what kind of what kind of do you have guests on or who how does the radio show work in and of itself i mean i know it's just just up and running but yeah
1: um well the way it works right now is we mainly focus on um admiral T. house and we tell stories from Admiralty house we tell stories um from i guess fairyland and um, we have done interviews we actually had chris hadfield make connection with admiralty house we had the space or sorry the air cadets in i think it was last year and so we've done interviews with everett price who's the coordinator for that Um, we're wanting to expand into some interviews but um mainly we're wanting this to be kind of a station that local communities can contact us say we're having an event tourists or anyone are free to attend can you put this on the air And we just want people to be able to listen to it, find out what cool things there are to do in Mount Pearl, because nothing's worse than people just driving by the city, you know, right into St. John's. We have things to offer as well.
0: It sounds like you guys have a lot of interesting programs on the go, I have to say. Thanks. (laughs) I'd
1: like to think so.
0: (laughs) Um, So just uh, to get back to, I guess, the heritage sector, um, why do you think that preserving heritage is important?
2: Um, Well, I mean, it's it's where we come from. It's what we're living right now. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and we need to pass that on to future generations. Um, So much has been lost over time. And I think um, the more we realize how important it is, the more we can try and preserve and maintain what we have now. Um, And I think, like I mentioned earlier, again, educating uh, people formally and informally um, is really key to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, like
1: I, just to, you know, beat the point and it it is a uniting force. And if um, we're not preserving say tangible heritage, like our own building or cultural heritage, which is intangible, um, where do we stand as a culture? If -hmm. we don't have those kind of basic roots that we can look back to and say, ah, yes, this is the path I'm supposed to be on. Of course, heritage is always changing. We're not a fixed state. But um, if we're not keeping an eye on the past, then how can we really progress? I guess that's where I'm going for. Mm-hmm. Um, so just uh, because I guess we talked about it a little bit, at well,
0: we talked about a lot with the Youth Heritage Forum, but um, what are some of the challenges that you think that youth uh, face today when they're trying to get involved in the heritage sector?
1: Um, probably one of the biggest things that I think about so often now is that we're kind of in this tug of war between an older generation that says, Um, If you're good at something, don't do it for free. And our current state of the economy that says, I can't pay you. (laughs) So where do we draw the line between wanting to get that experience so badly? And don't get me wrong, like I am all for volunteerism. That's how I got my start. And I can't say enough about volunteers and what kind of experiences you can get by being a volunteer. But where do we draw the line as um, a generation that is trying to grow financially and develop stability but still get those experiences you think about 20 years ago when people could go to a job interview and just say i have a passion and get the job now well that's great that you have a passion but where's your master's degree where is your certificate where is all this education that other people before us could just learn on the fly or not learn on the fly as i've learned with my catalogs um I think that's kind of the biggest challenge that we face is how how can the youth be able to get these experiences without compromising their quality of life?
2: I think another thing too, is opportunities. Opportunities are pretty limited. Um, you know, especially when it comes to funding for certain positions. Um, it's 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 pretty sad. Um, but again, I think, by um, reinforcing to the public that you know these things are essential in our culture and our history and our heritage. Um, so we need to provide these opportunities for people like us with um, an arts degree, whether it be history, folklore, archaeology, what have you, um, so that we can be the ones that help preserve and maintain um, this heritage and history so that, again, future generations can... Um, grow can grow yeah. absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, nothing's worse than people assuming that we don't want to be involved. I guess we we do. <laughs> I mean, there's there's three young ladies sitting here right now that want to be way. part of this, so. <laughs> mm-hmm. and there's lots more at the at the youth heritage. Oh firm, God. So.
2: scads. Absolutely.
0: Um. So just along the lines of, I guess, youth and heritage. Um. Where do you guys or how do you guys feel about? I guess using, like, digital forms, so I guess social media and things like that, and how do you think you can connect social media to heritage and
1: and history and local history, I guess? Um, Probably some of the the better ways is just uh, Twitter. Twitter is amazing, because it's just, you're scrolling through what you got, and on this day, this happened at this location. No way. Where's that? Can I just go there? Google Maps. Away we go. Um, There's a huge push in museum communities now to use augmented reality it's expensive and it's time consuming and it can break down but it's something that provides more for people who want it who have come through your doors and see these opportunities to hold up a phone to a picture that has indicated that you use layer and then suddenly a video starts playing and you can just watch the video instead of possibly reading the text it it's amazing what digital formats can do to inspire a generation that is so technological.
2: I think kind of playing off that um, accessibility. Um, most people, especially uh, young uh, young kids uh, and adults, um, are attached to their phones, attached to the computer, what have you. So by utilizing uh, social media, using that as a tool, to create that interest and that intrigue, um, you know, I think we we almost have to manipulate it a little bit um, <laughs> and use it to our advantage. So,
0: perfect. Um, so, I'm just wondering, uh, what's next? What's next for our guests, Admiralty House, or, or you guys yourselves?
1: Oh man!
0: <laughs> um,
2: well, again, at Admiralty House, we're coming up on the Centennial in September. So, September 16th is the sunset ceremony. Um, like i said earlier marks the uh 100th anniversary to the day um that hm wireless station um you know started working (laughs) um and then on that saturday the 19th we have the garden party um and i know we've bounced around some ideas uh, like we said for halloween especially now that we have confirmed (laughs) hauntings um so Yeah, uh, definitely look forward to um, our
1: Halloween programming. We're going to be offering some Christmas programming, things for kids to come in and, you know, help decorate the museum, make it very festive. We also have um, running from August 17th to September 18th. We have named that Artifact Challenge, which is a social media challenge where you follow us on Facebook and or Twitter and uh, you guess macro images. We'll post a picture and it'll be a macro of one of our artifacts in the museum. Uh, You then plug in what answer you think it is, and if you're the first one to get it right, your name goes into a draw. We draw for a massive gift basket. We have things from Good Life, um, Starbucks, Newfoundland Chocolate Company, and uh, that'll be drawn on the 19th as well. So we've got a lot of stuff coming up. Always follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We always keep you updated.
0: And so what is your Facebook and Twitter? Uh, Facebook
1: is www.facebook.com backslash admiralty house and our twitter handle is at admiralty museum perfect i'd just like to say thank
0: you guys for coming in it's been
2: great thank you very much all right
0: i'm tara barrett and you've been listening to living heritage a production of chmr radio 93.5 in collaboration with the intangible cultural heritage office of the heritage foundation of newfoundland and labrador find us online at ichblog.ca or itunes thanks for listening